I'm Christian Chiller. Welcome to my podcast, an enthusiastic ramble through whatever has taken my interest the past week or so. Expect technology, games, history, travel, geekery, and as always, much, much more. Welcome to another Chinchilla Squeaks. Last week was an interview show with Damien Marquez, and actually there'll be another interview show in next week. So this is kind of a link show squashed between an interview sandwich, I guess. But I have quite a plethora, a variety of different things I want to share with you this week. So let's jump right in. First on Wired, I have a couple from Wired uh, this week, actually, written by Matt Burgess. Is Firefox okay? This is not really a new story. Well, this is a new written story, but the story is not so new. People wondering what is happening to Firefox. Um, Technically speaking, I guess we should address that first. They're kind of having their pro-privacy... Uh, pro-privacy, what's the best word? Pro-privacy, um, unique selling points taken away from them by a variety of other browsers, Brave, Vivaldi, Safari even. In fact, many browser options that aren't the big elephant in the room. Also, technically speaking, they're different. I mean, you basically have Chromium rendering engines. You have WebKit, which is pretty much Safari. And then you have Firefox with its own rendering engine and I think I've kind of forgotten um, what it's called which says something as well I think a lot of people hold on to the almost kind of a a memory especially people of a certain age of Firefox because it came out of the ashes of Netscape which so many people have fond memories of and it's actually a, a relatively interesting story about that I feel like I mentioned that a few weeks back Um, on a History of the Web series of blogs that I recommended. And even up till not that long, well, relatively speaking, not that long ago, the end of 2008, Firefox was flying high. 20% of the 1.5 billion people online were using Firefox, and especially in certain markets. And 15 years later, now the market share is less than 4%. And on mobile, half a percent. And what has happened exactly? And even their own statistics show around 30 million monthly active users dropped from 2019 to 2022. And I honestly, personally, don't even know the last time I used Firefox or why I even considered using it. When and why I would consider using it. If I want stability and speed, I turn to Safari. If I want privacy, uh, sync, I generally turn to Brave. In fact, I uninstalled Firefox. I had it kind of around for testing, but I'm not sure why anymore. I think the reason I kept it around was, again, this kind of, I like the company. I like Mozilla. I like the concept of Mozilla and some of the other things they do. I like the fact that it's fully open source and has had this kind of online open community for some time and many of the other projects they support. But others are starting to do that as well in varying measures with varying levels of of controversy. Um, And and maybe that has been some of the issues sometimes that Mozilla has 
endlessly being a company that does various things and no one really knows or understands what they're trying to do, uh, including sometimes it feels like Mozilla themselves. And the interesting thing is that its biggest competitor, its biggest destroyer of its market share actually basically keeps the company afloat. Every year, Google pays Mozilla hundreds of millions of dollars in royalties, a search deal, around $400 million per year for its search engine to be set as the default. And out of total revenues of $496 million, the royalties from search deals equaled $441 million. Now, there are other search deals they have, for example, with Yandex in Russia, probably someone else in China, but still, it's not. It's, con- it's a concerning business arrangement. And that Google deal is supposed to expire in 2023 and progressively every time. And the last renewal was 2020. And I remember this happening. Google kind of ums and ahs about it and leaves them sort of clinging on to the last minute. And every time this happens, Mozilla makes some some layoffs and kind of claims things are not as bad as they look and, and on it goes. But so far, a lot of their attempts to make money elsewhere, things like Pocket and a VPN product and apparently pushing ads into the strangest of places just don't really quite work. They're now making $24 million in 2020 and it's rising, but it's not nowhere near the hundreds of millions number that we see. And I would also assume and guess that, to be honest with you, a lot of Firefox users tend to be pretty strongly in the kind of pro-privacy camp. That's why a lot of them switched to it in the first place. So I think they're going to be very reluctant and resistant to these sorts of measures. So is this kind of the final days? Is this the final years of, of Firefox? Are we really going to end up with only two basic kind of contender ecosystems? Remains to be seen. Is someone else going to come and create something to, to let us have that diversity in the browser ecosystem. I don't know. Your thoughts would be great to hear. You can, as always, find contact details for me at christianchiller.com. Next, an article from Technology Review. You may need a subscription to read this. I'm not 100% sure. I sort of have an expiring subscription. <laughs> Sometimes it's hard to tell. This is from Genevieve Bell. The metaverse is a new word for an old idea. And this is actually something I have constantly wondered when, well, certain people got excited about the metaverse. In honesty, I'm not really sure how many people are particularly excited, apart from Mark Zuckerberg. But really, the idea is not that original, this this kind of all-encompassing online world where you can live has been in science fiction for a long time. And the article actually mentioned Snow Crash from Neil Stevenson, but I would actually argue that it's been around even before that. And there's definitely been varying versions of it afterwards as well and some various classics. Obviously, we have The Matrix. We have um, Gibson, New Romance, I think is it. Uh, you have Ready Player One. There's a lot of these ideas. And, and the funny thing is that in many of these cases, they don't always go really that well <laughs> the um the stories from science fiction have always generally shown that they're open to abuse uh they have their problems 
and kind of the the conclusion is is usually that someone has to sort of shake it up or get out or et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I must admit, for various reasons, I find the concept of VR kind of unappealing. Um, I'm kind of quite happy with the desktop paradigm. <laughs> it's it's uh, engaging and engrossing enough for me. And we've had so many attempts. I even remember attempts at this sort of VR in the 90s when definitely the technology wasn't there, but the ideas were there. And I, I still challenge and wonder if people really want it. Um yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's one of the problems that we have a lot of technology pundits and and entrepreneurs wanting to create something that I don't know if people want that much. Um and then of course one of the first realized versions of this was Second Life from Linden Labs and they've kind of been bubbling up in the news again recently because of the whole announcement of the the metaverse. And that worked for a period of time, but people were not really doing this all-engrossing type living there so much. And it's still going, but it wasn't as successful as it could have been, and it faded eventually. And that's a whole other thing, is for something like this to survive, it has to survive and last a long time. And even something like Facebook, which seems extremely um, present, is starting to fade and vanish, and they're struggling to keep hold of users and, and and active users themselves. So if you try, it's effectively, if what, what you're actually trying to do is replace something like macOS or Windows, you have to consider they have been around for decades. And they're this kind of thing that you lead, you lead parts of your life in, but they kind of mostly get out of the way. Whereas all these sort of virtual environments sort of prompt for this constant interaction. And, I sometimes feel like that's something that's that's forgotten about in the discussion. Um, that the sorts of environments you actually are productive in are ones that sort of just help you get to something else and then get out of the way and just sit there in the background for when you need them. You know, something like macOS, unless you're having issues or you're launching new applications or you're changing preferences and things, most of the time it's just kind of there. And I don't really know VR is the same because it's always just sort of there in your face, literally. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's interesting because the article then decides to go into um, a discussion on the Great Exhibition. Although there were more, there was more than one Great Exhibition. I, I'm not 100% sure quite how it really applies to the metaverse. It's an interesting parallel. Um, but talking about how I suppose there are all these different things in one vehicle, I guess. And it had more than 100,000 exhibits from all over the world. It was pretty big. Uh, and, and I guess it's sort of a, an exhibition of of um, innovation and folly at the same time. Um, but also that it had a lot of warnings around problems and things like that, which didn't really become realized and and I don't know I sort of I feel like it's a strange analogy in in all honesty <laughs> but um it it led on to other things and maybe that's what metaverse will be it's kind of a kickstarter for what things will become and hopefully metaverse will not be the only thing it will be an interoperable uh connection of 
equivalence, but I worry about that because this is not something that is generally the case in technology at the moment. And if, you know, interacting with people in this virtual environment requires translation layers um, and abstraction layers and compatibility issues and things like that, then the whole thing has basically failed. You kind of need a sort of a standard that you can transition between. Uh, kind of like with operating systems as well. Like Mac OS and Windows have their paradigms, but I can exchange files between them. I can send an email into a program running on one or the other. I can send a text file. I can send things by Bluetooth or by networking standards, that kind of thing. That kind of interoperability is, is something that I think needs to still be thought about. Anyway, interesting article with some slightly odd tangents, but got me thinking and uh, got me thinking about history and science fiction and... Uh, where are all these things going to come from? And actually, I have uh, I've been reading some back issues of um, an interactive fiction role play XYZ magazine from the nineties, and it really got me thinking about a few things. And I'm going to put that into a blog post soon. So I think what goes around comes around. Old ideas getting re-realized and all sorts of things is basically the summary of this article and my thoughts at the moment. On that subject, another article from Wired from Luke Vinky, Indo Indo Indie Video Games. Um, kind of getting inspired by tabletop games as opposed to the other way around. Um, a lot of sort of card games, actually, to be blunt, um, including things like uh, Monster Train, Slay the Spire, uh, and then also others. Um, what's the, the classic uh, Hearthstone, Magic the Gathering, kind of all end up inspiring video games, and they're some of the most successful video games. Um, and... Interestingly, these tend to be quite simple video games, but it's that they're taking those mechanics. And um, I think there's probably a lot of back and forth because you can obviously use a video game to prototype a physical game quicker and easier, but there's a lot of uh, video game studios making board games and vice versa at the moment. And there's a lot of interplay between them. Um, so I, I find that quite interesting. It's something I'd like to really experiment with personally on some of my own projects a little bit more in the near future. But uh, it was quite a short article, but I found it nice and I sort of bookmarked it as a bunch of, uh, I like to talk about games, um, but uh, a bunch of links that I want to go and try some of the games, basically. <laughs> I tried a couple of these and a couple of similar ones, these sort of video versions of card games, effectively. And as long as they don't keep pressuring you to pay for things, I, I generally like them. So go and have a look at that link too, if you want some inspiration for some things to try. Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of my content as I transition into some others, uh, just to lead us into uh, different topics. So first, this is an article I wrote at the beginning of February um, on Geek Culture, a medium publication, a search for an Evernote replacement. This is me surmising some things I've been going through for some time uh, when quite shockingly bad new version of Evernote landed, Evernote 10. I loved Evernote for a very long time. Over 10 years, I was a paying customer, and this version was shit, to be blunt. And it destroyed a lot of integrations and all sorts of things. But even ignoring that, that kind of stuff, as I think I've mentioned several times, I'm a niche user when it comes to that sort of stuff. But even some of the basics just didn't work. So I wanted to look for alternatives. And what did I find? And what were... What was my experience on finding them? And this article was probably one of my most popular articles in a long time. There was a lot of discussion and sharing and positive feedback on it, which is really great. So have a look at that article if you want to find the journey I went on and what I found and what was and wasn't satisfied. And then some other people's 
uh, recommendations in the comments as well. Next, I wrote this a couple of months back, but I updated my Raspberry Pi post about how I set things up. I added a little bit around securing um, Calibre and the uh, admin service I use, which is Cockpit. And I also added um, a little bit around how I got mini DLNA working a little better. I think that's it. I actually have something else to add yet. But uh, those are the things I added so far. Oh, and also spinning down the hard drive when idle, with HD idle. That was it. So I have a few things I added that you can uh, go and take a look there. It's I updated the link on my website. You can find it, and I'll add some more to that. It's one of these growing posts I have. Next, as I transition into a discussion on language, I, I did a video on my YouTube channel and, and Twitch channel and a few other things couple of months back on uh, using GitHub Copilot, more generally for coding, for more general writing, that kind of thing. And then someone suggested to me I should try it um, for creative writing. So I did. <laughs> and I used it as an excuse to experiment with, um, no, sorry, to fulfill, uh, I'm doing this flash fiction challenge at the moment um, where you write 500 words each day based on a word prompt. And I decided to try that. And the results were, shall we say, interesting. <laughs> so go and watch that video if you're interested in seeing where I got to in creative writing with a virtual language assistant. On that note, an area where artificial intelligence is possibly more useful. This is an article from Rest of World, a blog that seems to keep coming up a lot recently in a variety of places and has some interesting content. An article from Eliza Kahari, an ancient language has defined translation for 100 years. Can AI crack the code? Um, and yeah, actually a few different approaches of AI researchers around the world attempting to use artificial intelligence to break these languages that no one has been able to decipher. And I love language history. I love studying language, the science of language. I've been getting quite interesting, interested a lot recently in computational um, linguistics and a few other things. And I, so I found this great. Sort of uh, various people's efforts over the years to, to figure out how to use computing or whatever that might have meant at the time um, to understand languages better. And has it worked? Not necessarily, <laughs> but it's interesting reading about the journey and, and how they've been successful so far. Next, my other gaming post. Maybe I should have put this earlier in the, uh, in the, in the interview, but I didn't. Uh, I did a video on World Anvil. This is a big, quite complex wiki-style tool for generating ideas and characters and maps and things for roleplay games, fiction, all sorts of things. It was a very comprehensive tool, quite complicated. There's a lot in here and I got a little overwhelmed. But if you're interested in seeing a little bit more, then find that video on my YouTube channel. And finally, an article from The Guardian, written by a whole bunch of people actually. Um, highlight of 50 gigs that changed music. And, and I loved it. some of these were quite obvious ones, like uh, Bob Dylan going electric, for example, the infamous um, Sex Pistols concert, uh, 
Ziggy Stardust retiring, but then a bunch of others were uh, a little less obvious, actually. Um, Billie Holiday, The Birth of Bebop, Buddy Holly and the Crickets in the UK, um, people I'd not even heard of, and going up until quite recent with some people I've equally not heard of, um, Billie Eilish, Stormzy, Beyonce. Well, I've heard of Beyonce, but I don't know that well. Lorde, Ariana Grande, um, and backwards and forwards between the various eras. A good range of different eras and different genres, actually. Um, some of these I'd love to sort of look up and then watch if they're available because it was very, very interesting. And, and some artists I got reminded of, like L7, The Shaman, <laughs> Live Aid, strangely, um, kind of forget about. And just reading about some of the sorts of uh, efforts that people put into some of their performances too um, is, is, is quite interesting. So, yeah, if you uh, want to be exposed to a variety of music across the decade, then have a look there to get some inspiration for where to start, I guess. I hope you enjoyed the show. Find out more about me at chrischinchilla.com where you can find show notes, sign up for my newsletter and find all of my writing games, work, and video links. There's also details on how to get in touch with me. And if you want to get even closer to what I do, join my Discord server for behind-the-scenes discussions and helping me produce my shows and work.